Section 4 of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Nixon, The Supercargo, of www.thesupercargo.com. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson, Section 4. Letter 24 Dear Father and Mother, I shall write on as long as I stay, though I should have nothing but silliness to write, for I know you divert yourselves on nights with what I write, because it is mine. John tells me how much you long for my coming, but he says he told you he hoped something would happen to hinder it. I am glad you did not tell him the occasion of my coming away, for if my fellow-servants should guess, it were better so than to have it from you or me. Besides, I really am concerned that my master should cast away a thought upon such a poor creature as me, for, besides the disgrace, it has quite turned his temper, and I begin to believe what Mrs. Jervis told me, that he likes me and can't help it, and yet strives to conquer it, and so finds no way but to be cross to me. Don't think me presumptuous and conceited, for it is more my concern than my pride to see such a gentleman so demean himself, and lessen the regard he used to have in the eyes of all his servants on my account. But I am to tell you of my new dress to-day. And so, when I had dined, upstairs I went, and locked myself into my little room. There I tricked myself up as well as I could in my new garb, and put on my round-eared ordinary cap, but with a green knot, however, and my homespun gown and petticoat and plain leather shoes, but yet they are what they call Spanish leather, and my ordinary hose, or ordinary, I mean, to what I have been lately used to, though I shall think good yarn may do very well for every day when I come home. A plain muslin tucker I put on, and my black silk necklace instead of the French necklace my lady gave me, and put the earrings out of my ears, and when I was quite equipped, I took my straw hat in my hand with its two blue strings, and looked about me in the glass as proud as anything. To say truth, I never liked myself so well in my life. Oh, the pleasure of descending with ease, innocence, and resignation! Indeed, there is nothing like it. An humble mind, I plainly see, cannot meet with any very shocking disappointment, let fortune's wheel turn round as it will. So I went down to look for Mrs. Jervis, to see how she liked me. I met, as I was upon the stairs, our Rachel, who is the housemaid, and she made me a low curtsy, and I found did not know me. So I smiled, and went to the housekeeper's parlour, and there sat good Mrs. Jervis at work, making a shift, and would you believe it, she did not know me at first, but rose up, and pulled off her spectacles, and said, do you want me, forsooth? I could not help laughing, and said, Hey day, Mrs. Jervis, what, don't you know me? She stood all in amaze, and looked at me from top to toe. Why, you surprise me, said she. What, Pamela, thus metamorphosed? How came this about? As it happened, in stepped my master, and my back being to him, he thought it was a stranger speaking to Mrs. Jervis, and withdrew again, and did not hear her ask if his honour had any commands for her. She turned me about and about, and I showed her all my dress, to my under-petticoat, and she said, sitting down, Why, I am all in amaze, I must sit down. 
What can all this mean? I told her I had no clothes suitable to my condition when I returned to my father's, and so it was better to begin here, as I was soon to go away, that all my fellow-servants might see I knew how to suit myself to the state I was returning to. Well, said she, I never knew the like of thee, but this sad preparation for going away, for now I see you are quite in earnest, is what I know not how to get over. Oh, my dear Pamela, how can I part with you? My master rung in the back parlour, and so I withdrew, and Mrs. Jervis went to attend him. It seems he said to her, I was coming in to let you know that I shall go to Lincolnshire, and possibly to my sister Davers, and be absent some weeks. But pray, what pretty neat damsel was with you? She says she smiled, and asked if his honour did not know who it was. No, said he. I never saw her before. Farmer Nichols or Farmer Brady have neither of them such a tight prim lass for a daughter, have they? Though I did not see her face, neither, said he. If your honour won't be angry, said she, I will introduce her into your presence, for I think, says she, she outdoes our Pamela. Now, I did not thank her for this, as I told her afterwards, for it brought a great deal of trouble upon me, as well as crossness, as you shall hear. That can't be, he was pleased to say, but if you can find an excuse for it, let her come in. At that she stepped to me, and told me I must go in with her to her master. But, said she, for goodness sake, let him find you out, for he don't know you. Oh, fie, Mrs. Jervis, said I, how could you serve me so? Besides, it looks too free, both in me and to him. I tell you, said she, you shall come in, and pray don't reveal yourself till he finds you out. So I went in, foolish as I was, though I must have been seen by him another time, if I had not then and she would make me take my straw hat in my hand. I dropped a low curtsy, but said never a word. I dare say he knew me as soon as he saw my face, but was cunning as Lucifer. He came up to me and took me by the hand and said, Whose pretty maiden are you? I dare say you're Pamela's sister. You're so like her, so neat, so clean, so pretty. Why, child, you far surpass your sister Pamela. I was all confusion and would have spoken, but he took me about the neck. Why, said he, you're very pretty child. I would not be so free with your sister, you may believe, but I must kiss you. Oh, sir, said I, I am Pamela. Indeed I am. Indeed I am Pamela, her own self. He kissed me for all I could do, and said, Impossible! You're a lovelier girl by half than Pamela, and sure I may be innocently free with you, though I would not do her so much favour. This was a sad trick upon me, indeed, and what I could not expect, and Mrs. Jervis looked like a fool as much as I for her officiousness. At last I got away, and ran out of the parlour, most sadly vexed, as you may well think. He talked a good deal to Mrs. Jervis, and at last ordered me to come in to him. "'Come in,' said he, "'you little villain!' So he called me, "'Good sirs, what a name was there!' Who is it you put your tricks upon? I was resolved never to honour your unworthiness, said he, with so much notice again, and so you must disguise yourself to attract me, and yet pretend like an hypocrite as you are. I was out of patience then. Hold, good sir, said I. Don't impute disguise and hypocrisy to me, above all things, for I hate them both, mean as I am. I have put on no disguise. What a plague, said he, for that was his word. Do you mean then by this dress? Why, and please your honour, said I, I mean one of the honestest things in the world. I have been in disguise indeed, ever since my good lady your mother took me from my poor parents. 
I came to her ladyship so poor and mean that these clothes I have on are a princely suit to those I had then, and her goodness heaped upon me rich clothes and other bounties, and as I am now returning to my poor parents again so soon, I cannot wear those good things without being hooted at, and so have bought what will be more suitable to my degree, and be a good holiday suit too when I get home. He then took me in his arms, and presently pushed me from him. Mrs. Jervis, said he, take the little witch from me. I can neither bear nor forbear her. Strange words, these. But stay, you shan't go. Yet, yet be gone. Oh, come back again. I thought he was mad for my share, for he knew not what he would have. I was going, however, but he stepped after me and took hold of my arm and brought me in again. I am sure he made my arm black and blue, for the marks are upon it still. Sir, sir, said I, pray have mercy, I will, I will come in. He sat down and looked at me, and, as I thought afterwards, as sillily as such a poor girl as I, at last he said, well, Mrs. Jervis, as I was telling you, you may permit her to stay a little longer till I see if my sister Davers will have her. If, meantime, she humble herself and ask this as a favour, and is sorry for her pertness and the liberty she has taken with my character out of the house and in the house. Your Honour indeed told me so, said Mrs. Jervis, but I never found her inclinable to think herself in fault. Pride and perverseness, said he, with a vengeance, yet this is your doting piece. Well, for once I'll submit myself to tell you, hussy, said he to me, you may stay a fortnight longer till I see my sister Davers. Do you hear what I say to you, statue? Can you neither speak nor be thankful? Your honour frightens me so, said I, that I can hardly speak, but I will venture to say that I have only to beg as a favour that I may go to my father and mother. Why, fool, said he, won't you like to go wait on my sister Davers? Sir, I said, I was once fond of that honour, but you were pleased to say I might be in danger from her ladyship's nephew, or he from me. Damned impertinence, said he. Do you hear, Miss Jervis, do you hear how she retorts upon me? Was ever such matchless assurance? I then fell a-weeping, for Mrs. Jervis said, Fie, Pamela, fie. And I said, My lot is very hard indeed. I am sure I would hurt nobody, and I have been, it seems, guilty of indiscretions, which have cost me my place and my master's favour, and so have been turned here away. And when the time is come that I should return to my poor parents, I am not suffered to go quietly. Good your honour, what have I done that I must be used worse than if I had robbed you? Robbed me, said he. Why, why, so you have, hussy. You have robbed me. Who, sir? I, sir, said I, have I robbed you? Why, then, you are a justice of peace, and may send me to jail, if you please, and bring me to a trial for my life. If you can prove that I have robbed you, I am sure I ought to die. Now, I was quite ignorant of his meaning, though I did not like it when it was afterwards explained, neither. And well, thought I, what will this come to at last, if poor Pamela is esteemed a thief? Then I thought in an instant how... I should show my face to my honest poor parents if I was but suspected. But, sir, said I, let me ask you but one question, and pray don't let me be called names for it, for I don't mean disrespectfully. Why, if I have done amiss, am I not left to be discharged by your housekeeper, as the other maids have been? And if Jane, or Rachel, or Hannah were to offend, would your honour stoop to take notice of them? 
And why should you so demean yourself to take notice of me? Pray, sir, if I have not been worse than others, why should I suffer more than others? And why should I not be turned away? And there's an end of it. For indeed, I am not of consequence enough for my master to concern himself and be angry about such a creature as me. Do you hear, Mrs. Jervis, cried he again, how pertly I am interrogated by this saucy slut? Why, sauce box, says he, did not my good mother desire me to take care of you? And have you not been always distinguished by me above a common servant? And does your ingratitude upbraid me for this? I said something mutteringly, and he vowed he would hear it. I begged excuse, but he insisted upon it. Why then, said I, if your honour must know, I said, that my good lady did not desire your care to extend to the summer-house and her dressing-room. Well, this was a little saucy, you'll say, and he flew into such a passion that I was forced to run for it, and Mrs. Jervis said it was happy I got out of the way. Why, what makes him provoke one so, then? I'm almost sorry for it, but I would be glad to get away at any rate, for I begin to be more fearful now. Just now Mr. Jonathan sent me these lines. Bless me, what shall I do? Dear Mrs. Pamela, take care of yourself, for Rachel heard my master say to Mrs. Jervis, who she believes was pleading for you, Say no more, Mrs. Jervis, for by God I will have her burn this instantly. Oh, pray for your poor daughter. I am called to go to bed by Mrs. Jervis, for it is past eleven, and I am sure she shall hear of it, for all this is owing to her, though she did not mean any harm. But I have been, and am, in a strange fluster, and I suppose too she'll say I have been full pert. Oh, my dear father and mother, power and riches never want advocates. But poor gentlewoman, she cannot live without him, and he has been very good to her. So good night. Maybe I shall send this in the morning, but maybe not, so won't conclude, though I can't say too often that I am, though with great apprehension, your most dutiful daughter. Letter 25 My dear parents, Oh, let me take up my complaint and say, Never was poor creature so unhappy and so barbarously used as poor Pamela, Indeed, my dear father and mother, my heart's just broke. I can neither write as I should do, nor let it alone. For to whom but you can I vent my griefs, and keep my poor heart from bursting? Wicked, wicked man! I have no patience when I think of him, but yet don't be frightened, for I hope I, hope I am honest. But if my head and my hand will let me, you shall hear all. Is there no constable, no headborough, though, to take me out of this house? For I am sure I can safely swear the peace against him. But, alas, he is greater than any constable. He is a justice himself. Such a justice deliver me from. But God Almighty, I hope, in time will right me, for he knows the innocence of my heart. John went your way in the morning, but I have been too much distracted to send by him, and have seen nobody but Mrs. Jervis or Rachel and one I hate to see or be seen by, and indeed I hate now to see anybody. Strange things, I have to tell you, that happened since last night. That good Mr. Jonathan's letter and my master's harshness put me into such a fluster, but I will not keep you in suspense. I went to Mrs. Jervis's chamber, and, oh, dreadful, my wicked master had hid himself, base gentleman as he is, in her closet, where she has a few books and chest of drawers and such like. 
I little suspected it, though I used till this sad night always to look into that closet, and another in the room, and under the bed, ever since the summer-house trick, but never found anything, and so I did not do it then, being fully resolved to be angry with Mrs. Jervis for what had happened in the day, and so thought of nothing else. I sat myself down on one side of the bed, and she on the other, and we began to undress ourselves, but she on that side next the wicked closet that held the worst heart in the world. So, said Mrs. Jervis, you won't speak to me, Pamela? I find you are angry with me. Why, Mrs. Jervis, said I, so I am a little. Tis a folly to deny it. You see what I have suffered by your forcing me into my master, and a gentlewoman of your years and experience must needs know that it was not fit for me to pretend to be anybody else for my own sake, nor with regard to my master. But, said she, who would have thought it would have turned out so? Ay, said I, little thinking who heard me, Lucifer always is ready to promote his own work and workmen. You see presently what use he made of it, pretending not to know me on purpose to be free with me. And when he took upon himself to know me, to quarrel with me, and to use me hardly, and you too, said I, to cry fie-fie, Pamela, cut me to the heart, for that encouraged him. Do you think, my dear, said she, that I would encourage him? I never said so to you before, but since you have forced it from me, I must tell you that ever since you consulted me, I have used my utmost endeavours to divert him from his wicked purposes, and he has promised fair, but to say all in a word, he dotes upon you, and I begin to see it is not in his power to help it. I luckily said nothing of the note from Mr. Jonathan, for I began to suspect all the world almost, but I said to try Mrs. Jervis, well then, what would you have me do? You see he is for having me wait on Lady Davers now. Why, I'll tell you freely, my dear Pamela, said she, and I trust to your discretion to conceal what I say. My master has been often desiring me to put you upon asking him to let you stay. Yes, said I, Mrs. Jervis, let me interrupt you. I will tell you why I could not think of that. It was not the pride of my heart, but the pride of my honesty. For what must have been the case? Here my master has been very rude to me, once and twice, and you say he cannot help it, though he pretends to be sorry for it. Well, he has given me warning to leave my place, and uses me very harshly, perhaps to frighten me to his purposes, as he supposes I would be fond of staying, as indeed I should if I could be safe, for I love you and all the house, and value him if he would act as my master. Well then, as I know his designs, and that he owns that he cannot help it, must I have asked to stay, knowing he would attempt me again? For all you could assure me of was he would do nothing by force. So I, a poor weak girl, was to be left to my own strength? And was not this to allow him to tempt me, as one may say, and to encourage him to go on in his wicked devices? How then, Mrs. Jervis, could I ask or wish to stay? You say well, my dear child, says she, and you have a justness of thought above your years. For all these considerations, and for what I have heard this day after you ran away, and I am glad you went as you did, I cannot persuade you to stay, and I shall be glad, which is what I never thought I could have said, that you were well at your father's, for if Lady Davers will entertain you, she may as well have you from thence as here. There's my good Mrs. Jervis, said I. God will bless you for your good counsel to a poor maiden that's hard beset. But pray, what did he say when I was gone? Why, says she, he was very angry with you. 
but he would hear it, said I. I think it was a little bold, but then he provoked me to it. And had not my honesty been in the case, I would not by any means have been so saucy. Besides, Mrs. Jervis, consider it was the truth. If he does not love to hear of the summer-house and the dressing-room, why should he not be ashamed to continue in the same mind? But, says she, when you had muttered this to yourself, you might have told him anything else. Well, said I, I cannot tell a willful lie, and so there's an end of it. But I find you now give him up, and think there's danger in staying. Lord bless me, I wish I was well out of the house. So it was at the bottom of a wet ditch on the wildest common in England. Why, said she, it signifies nothing to tell you all he said, but it was enough to make me fear that you would not be so safe as I could wish, and upon my word, Pamela, I don't wonder he loves you, for without flattery you are a charming girl. I never saw you look more lovely in your life than in that same new dress of yours, and then it was such a surprise upon us all. I believe truly you owe some of your danger to the lovely appearance you made." Then, said I, I wish the clothes in the fire. I expected no effect from them, but if any, a quite contrary one. Hush, said I, Mrs. Jervis, did you not hear something stir in the closet? No, silly girl, said she, your fears are always awake. But indeed, said I, I think I heard something rustle. Maybe, says she, the cat may be gotten there, but I hear nothing. I was harsh, but she said, Prithee, my good girl, make haste to bed, see if the door be fast. So I did, and was thinking to look into the closet, but hearing no more noise, thought it needless, and so went again, and sat myself down on the bedside, and went on undressing myself. And Mrs. Jervis, being by this time undressed, stepped into bed, and bid me hasten, for she was sleepy. I don't know what was the matter. But my heart sadly misgave me. Indeed, Mr. Jonathan's note was enough to make it do so, with what Mrs. Jervis had said. I pulled off my stays and my stockings and all my clothes to an under-petticoat, and then, hearing a rustle again in the closet, I said, Heaven protect us, but before I say my prayers I must look into this closet. And so was going to it, slipshod, when, oh, dreadful, out rushed my master in a rich silk and silver morning-gown. I screamed and ran to the bed, and Mrs. Jervis screamed too, and he said, I'll do you no harm if you forbear this noise, but otherwise take what follows. Instantly he came to the bed, for I had crept into it, to Mrs. Jervis, with my coat on and my shoes, and taking me in his arms, said, Mrs. Jervis, rise and just step upstairs and keep the maids from coming down at this noise. I'll do no harm to this rebel. Oh, for heaven's sake, for pity's sake, Mrs. Jervis, said I, if I am not betrayed, don't leave me, and I beseech you, raise all the house. No, said Mrs. Jervis, I will not stir, my dear lamb, I will not leave you. I wonder at you, sir, said she, and kindly threw herself upon my coat, clasping me around the waist. You shall not hurt this innocent, said she, for I will lose my life in her defence. Are there not, said she, enough wicked ones in the world for your base purpose, but you must attempt such a lamb as this? He was desperate angry, and threatened to throw her out of the window, and to turn her out of the house the next morning. You need not, sir, said she, for I will not stay in it. God defend my poor Pamela till to-morrow, and we will both go together. Says he, let me but expostulate a word or two with you, Pamela. Pray, Pamela, said Mrs. Jervis, don't hear a word, except he leaves the bed and goes to the other end of the room. Aye, out of the room, said I, expostulate to-morrow if you must expostulate. 
I found his hand in my bosom, and when my fright let me know it, I was ready to die, and I sighed and screamed and fainted away, and still he had his arms about my neck, and Mrs. Jervis was about my feet and upon my coat, and all in a cold, dewy sweat was I. Pamela, Pamela, said Mrs. Jervis, as she tells me since, oh, and gave another shriek, my poor Pamela is dead for certain. And so to be sure I was for a time, for I knew nothing more of the matter, one fit following another, till about three hours after, as it proved to be, I found myself in bed, and Mrs. Jervis sitting upon one side with her wrapper about her, and Rachel on the other, and no master, for the wicked wretch was gone. But I was so overjoyed that I hardly could believe myself, and I said, which were my first words, Mrs. Jervis, Mrs. Rachel, can I be sure it's you? Tell me, can I? Where have I been? Hush, my dear, said Mrs. Jervis. You have been in fit after fit. I never saw anybody so frightful in my life. By this I judged Rachel knew nothing of the matter, and it seems my wicked master had, upon Mrs. Jervis's second noise on my fainting away, slipped out, and, as if he had come from his own chamber, disturbed by the screaming, went up to the maid's room, who hearing the noise, lay trembling and afraid to stir, and bid them go down and see what was the matter with Mrs. Jervis and me. And he charged Mrs. Jervis, and promised to forgive her for what she had said and done, if she would conceal the matter. So the maids came down, and all went up again when I came to myself a little, except Rachel, who stayed to sit up with me, and bear Mrs. Jervis company. I believe they all guessed the matter to be bad enough, though they dare not say anything. When I think of my danger, and the freedoms he actually took, though I believe Mrs. Jervis saved me from worse, and she said she did, though what can I think, who was in a fit and knew nothing of the matter, I am almost distracted. At first I was afraid of Mrs. Jervis, but I am fully satisfied. She is very good, and I should have been lost but for her. And she takes on grievously about it. What would have become of me had she gone out of the room to still the maids as he bid her? He'd certainly have shut her out, and then mercy on me, what would have become of your poor Pamela? I must leave off a little, for my eyes and my head are sadly bad. This was a dreadful trial. This was the worst of all. Oh, that I was out of the power of this dreadfully wicked man. Pray for your distressed daughter. Letter 26 My dear father and mother, I did not rise till ten o'clock, and I had all the concerns and wishes of the family and multitudes of inquiries about me. My wicked master went out early to hunt, but left word he would be in to breakfast, and so he was. He came up to our chamber about eleven, and had nothing to do to be sorry, for he was our master, and so put on sharp anger at first. I had great emotions at his entering the room, and threw my apron over my head, and fell a-crying, as if my heart would break. Mrs. Jervis, said he, since I know you, and you me so well, I don't know how we shall live together for the future. Sir, said she, I will take the liberty to say what I think is best for both. I have so much grief that you should attempt to do any injury to this poor girl, and especially in my chamber, that I should think myself accessory to the mischief, if I was not to take notice of it. Though my ruin therefore may depend upon it, I desire not to stay. But pray let poor Pamela and me go together. With all my heart, said he, and the sooner the better. She fell a-crying. I find, says he, this girl has made a party of the whole house in her favour against me. 
Her innocence deserves it of us all, said she very kindly, and I never could have thought that the son of my dear good lady departed could have so forfeited his honour as to endeavour to destroy a virtue he ought to protect. No more of this, Mrs. Jervis, said he. I will not hear it. As for Pamela, she has a lucky knack of falling into fits when she pleases. But the cursed yellings of you both made me not myself. I intended no harm to her, as I told you both, if you'd have left off your squallings. And I did no harm, neither, but to myself, for I raised a hornet's nest about my ears that, as far as I know, may have stung to death my reputation. Sir, said Mrs. Jervis, then I beg Mr. Longman may take my accounts and I will go away as soon as I can. As for Pamela, she is at her liberty, I hope, to go away next Thursday, as she intends. I sat still, for I could not speak nor look up, and his presence discomposed me extremely, but I was sorry to hear myself the unhappy occasion of Mrs. Jervis's losing her place, and hope that may be still made up. Well, said he, let Mr. Longman make up your accounts as soon as you will, and Mrs. Jukes who is his housekeeper in Lincolnshire, shall come hither in your place, and won't be less obliging, I dare say, than you have been, said she. I have never disobliged you till now, and let me tell you, sir, if you knew what belonged to your own reputation or honour— No more, no more, said he, of these antiquated topics. I have been no bad friend to you, and I shall always esteem you, though you have not been so faithful to my secrets as I could have wished, and have laid me open to this girl which has made her more afraid of me than she had occasion. Well, sir, said she, after what passed yesterday and last night, I think I went rather too far in favour of your injunctions than otherwise, and I should have deserved everybody's censure as the basest of creatures had I been capable of contributing to your lawless attempts. Still, Mrs. Jervis, still reflecting upon me, and all for imaginary faults, for what harm have I done the girl? I won't bear it, I'll assure you. But yet, in respect to my mother, I am willing to part friendly with you, though you ought both of you to reflect on the freedom of your conversation in relation to me, which I should have resented more than I do, but that I am conscious I had no business to demean myself so as to be in your closet, where I might have expected to hear a multitude of impertinence between you. Well, sir— said she. You have no objection, I hope, to Pamela going away on Thursday next. You are mighty solicitous, said he, about Pamela. But no, not I. Let her go as soon as she will. She is a naughty girl, and has brought all this upon herself, and upon me more trouble than she can have had from me. But I have overcome it all, and will never concern myself about her. I have a proposal made me, added he, since I have been out this morning, that I shall go near to embrace— and so wish only that a discreet use may be made of what is past, and there's an end of everything with me, as to Pamela, I assure you. I clasped my hands together through my apron, overjoyed at this, though I was soon to go away. For naughty as he has been to me, I wish his prosperity with all my heart for my good old lady's sake. Well, Pamela, says he, you need not now be afraid to speak to me. Tell me what you lifted up your hands at. I said not a word says he, if you like what I have said, give me your hand upon it. I held my hand up through my apron, for I could not speak to him, and he took hold of it and pressed it, though less hard than he did my arm the day before. What does the little fool cover her face for? said he. Pull your apron away and let me see how you look after your freedom of speech of me last night. No wonder you're ashamed to see me. You know you were very free with my character. 
I could not stand this barbarous insult, as I took it to be, considering his behaviour to me, and I then spoke and said, Oh, the difference between the minds of thy creatures, good God! How shall some be cast down in their innocence, while others can triumph in their guilt? And so saying, I went upstairs to my chamber, and wrote all this, for though he vexed me at his taunting, yet I was pleased to hear he was likely to be married, and that his wicked intentions were so happily overcome as to me, and this made me a little easier. And I hope I have passed the worst, or else it is very hard, and yet I shan't think myself at ease quite till I am with you, for methinks after all his repentance and amendment are mighty suddenly resolved upon. But the divine grace is not confined to space, and remorse may, and I hope has, smitten him to the heart at once for his injuries to poor me. Yet I won't be too secure, neither. Having opportunity, I send now what I know will grieve you to the heart, but I hope I shall bring my next scribble myself, and so conclude, though half-broken-hearted, your ever-dutiful daughter. End of section 4 Recording by John Nixon, The Supercargo, of www.thesupercargo.com.